Good. Okay, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 3. We finally arrived to Galatians 3. In some of the most memorable words in the New Testament, the first three words. Galatians 3, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 5. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Then having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Let's pray. Father, I pray that every soul here has that supernatural, merciful grace of Your hand to hear the Gospel with a heart of saving faith, clinging to Jesus, loving Him whom we see who was crucified for wrath-deserving, condemned sinners. Oh, may the joy of the Gospel ring and sing this morning through this text, to the glory of Your Son, our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, as we hear the words this morning, O foolish Galatians, do not think it's not meant ultimately for every one of us this morning in this room at Sovereign Grace Fellowship. To take those words and the implicit warning to heart. This passage this morning is about you. It's about me. It is about how we are living day by day by day. It's about whether you are living as a professing Christian fool or as a child of God, re refusing to walk in legalism, but instead, walking in childlike heart of, of faith and an obedience to the Father in His Word from a heart of faith. That's the text. In verses 1-5 to here, Paul makes clear that the false teaching of these professing Christian Jews from Jerusalem, we call them the Judaizers, that it is at its core not about how one begins the Christian life, but it's about what is the walking out of the Christian life. And therefore, anyone who says quietly in their mind, well, I know I began the Christian life by faith in Jesus, I trust in Jesus. I believe the Gospel. Therefore, the warnings in Scripture, in the New Testament, they're not for me. 
I don't necessarily need to pay attention to those warnings. That person is probably already too far gone in their deception of what Christianity is. But maybe not. Because the Word of God is powerful to convict, to transform, to change hearts and theology. Let's recap now before we come to chapter 3. It's been very simple through these first two chapters. Paul has gotten word that the professing Christian Jews, that sect within Jerusalem, that hates Paul's Gospel, that tells Gentiles you can be saved by faith in Jesus without doing all the works of the law in Moses that make you Jewish. He's angry and he pens a letter and he's, got, he's had one main point so far. We see it in chapter 1, verse 6 when he says it this way, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting God for a different Gospel. Okay, that's his way of saying, here's his main point throughout the first two chapters. Stop it! Stop! entertaining the theology of the Judaizers. Get rid of them. And then he's had three arguments. The first is, if you don't, you will be condemned in the end. If you buy into it and live according to what they're teaching you, you will be anathema. And then his second argument was the long argument starting in chapter 1, verse 11, all the way to chapter 2, verse 10, which was a, he had an address the accusations of the Judaizers against Paul. Paul was just a Johnny-come-lately. He's not one of the original apostles. He's, he learned his Gospel from the apostles of Jerusalem, and he messed some things up, and we're here to correct him. And so Paul's second argument is, that is a lie. A matter of fact, I did not get my Gospel from any man, but directly from Jesus. By implication, if you reject it, you reject Jesus. That's been his second argument. And then his third argument was when he retold what happened in the city of Antioch when he had to confront Peter because Peter's theology wasn't off. His actions were out of line with the truth of the Gospel. And he used that for the Galatians to transfer into his theological argument. Summed up with this way. We are justified. We are made right with God our sins are forgiven. Jesus' righteousness is given to us by faith alone. Totally apart from any works of the law. That's the core of the Gospel. Okay, that's what he's done in the first two chapters. Now we come to chapter 3. And he says again, in a different way, what he said in chapter 1, verse 6. Stop it! Stop listening, entertaining, being troubled, even troubled over just of the doctrine of these guys. Get rid of them. Don't allow them anymore into your home studies. Don't give them positions to teach the church when it gathers all through the city in different places. Stop it. Get rid of them. And he says it this way. Verse 1. Oh foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? It's a rhetorical question. He's saying, these professing Christian Jews are like casting a spell over you. Who has bewitched you? Now listen, you've got to figure out why does Paul say this? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed to you, was crucified. What? What does that have to do 
with his argument. I think you read the whole book and you keep reading the whole book through. It's really clear. Paul said, this is the center of your salvation. I told you Gentile Galatians in all your churches of Pisidian Antioch and, and Iconium and Lystra and Derby and little towns, I made it very clear about the public condemnation of Jesus fulfilling Isaiah. His suffering, His whips, His bloody slaughter as the substitutionary Lamb of God. Don't you get it how it shows how hopeless you were to do anything to make yourself right before God? It shows that at our conversion to Jesus and throughout your life until you die, you are utterly dependent upon the mercy of the cross. You never start from a heart of faith in God's grace. And then, I guess I'm a mature Christian now, so I'm going to get on a different track of show all my works to God Don't do it. He was publicly crucified as the substitution for all who will believe in Him. His crucifixion was a public display of every one of us who is a Christian of our hellish nature. And now you're going to Get on a track of living according to the works of the law. Look at me. I keep kosher. Look at me. I read more Bible than you. It is, it is that attitude that rises up within every one of us as even genuine Christians called our flesh is an attack on the cross of Christ. Paul's saying, I preach the Gospel to you. When one sees this truth of Christ crucified with the eyes of their heart and believes, He, Jesus, died for me, then the idea that I can perform any acts of obedience in order to get me, myself, Right with God, that goes out the window when you understand the cross. Remember what he said last week? Verse 19, chapter 2. I, Paul, for through the law of Moses, I died to the law so that I may live, be alive to God the Father. Remember he said, I therefore what? I tore down that structure of law-keeping is the way that's going to get me into heaven. The law only condemned me, religious or pagan. It only condemned me and shined the light on the truth of how doomed I was. I tore down therefore that way to God. That self-reliant way of trying to earn God's blessing. And I live in light of the cross and in a Communion with Jesus Christ. That's what he said, right? Because I tore down the law. What's left, Paul? What are you going to do? Verse 20, chapter 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, that that old I that hated God at the core, even if I were religious, hated the idea that I can do nothing. And I realized, by God's mercy, I can do nothing. And I am nothing. And I deserved wrath. So the new I is alive. And I live. That is, Christ lives in me. In the life I now live 
in the body, in the flesh, I live, I live day after day after day by faith, by heart of trust, by heart of, of adoration and affection. And who else has the words of life, Christ Jesus? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and was publicly crucified for me. Gave Himself up. For me, that's the Christian life. See, that is not the superior Christian life to Paul. That is conversion to Paul. A Christian is not a person who just believes some facts, even though they are facts and historical facts about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, I got that stuff in my head. That's not necessarily a Christian. But it's a person who has died in Christ to the works of the law, to pride, to independence, and lives by faith alone. And now notice in verses 2 and 3, Paul spells out the issue at the core that he's dealing with, with the Judaizers they're teaching and the Galatians. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Is that what happened, Galatians? Or was it by the hearing with faith? Again, it's a rhetorical question. Which means, he's making a statement. You did not receive the Holy Spirit by doing any works of the law. You received the Holy Spirit because the Gospel came and you heard it and something happened in you. Faith. Right? And so he says in verse 3, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected, sanctified, by the flesh? Hmm. Just, so, just for a moment, just imagine. Go back in history. Okay? It's early 50's. Imagine any of these Galatians and all these... Remember, it's a bunch of different churches in different cities in that region of Galatia and it's being copied and copied and sent to the churches and being read day after day. And, woo. and just imagine any of those baptized persons. Eh, they took what Paul said here, the grain of salt. Imagine them not taking what the Apostle Paul said here, as crucial for their own individual salvation. Right now, imagine anybody in this room today bored at this moment. Not taking these words of Paul as crucial for where you will spend eternity. Both of those cases would be tragic. In verse 2, Paul shows them that their actions of adding meritorious works onto their faith that they began with oh, is a contradiction of the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law that these teachers are telling you now to add to your faith? Or by hearing the message with a heart of faith? Now we're going to come back to the core of that faith, but I just want you to notice something for Paul. He seems to make it very clear here that becoming a Christian... It means receiving the Holy Spirit. He just assumes if you do have saving faith, you have received the Holy Spirit. And in Romans 8, 9, he will later in his ministry say, You, however, are not in the flesh, church, but you're in the Spirit, if in fact... If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, 
Because anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. And this is why it's such a tragedy that so many people in our day and age within American evangelical churches, they have been told, believe these words. Say a prayer. Ask Jesus into your heart. And heaven is secured no matter what. Well, it is if they have faith. But they make it into a work and forget the miracle of what saving faith is. You shouldn't tell people they're Christians. You should continually be clear of the Gospel and God will make Christians and they will tell you, I am one. Sad that we say, yes, little Johnny. Or use the names of my own children, Caleb and Hannah. Of course you're a Christian. You love Jesus. Pray, ask Him in your heart. It's good, that's Christianity. You're going to heaven. Period, end of issue. And then they come into puberty. And what we call adolescence. Or they turn 20 and 25. And they have such assurance of their salvation. While their life says, I really dislike the God of the Bible. But they feel good. You all learned about the Black Plague. I think, was it 1300s, 1400s in Europe? It wiped out at least a third of Europe. So just picture that there would have been some dude in his basement making a, a pill. All you had to do was swallow that pill and you would be immune from the spread of this disease hitting you. It'd be great. Just take it. And there's the truth here. This is the Gospel. You must be connected to Christ in order to be saved from the virus of eternal damnation. So you take it. And Jesus is that good. But on the market, 50% of those pills are sugar pills. There's all kinds of people taking, you know, I just think I got it. I took the sugar pill. Now I can just go into town and really nurse people to health because I can't get it. And they're wondering why they're dying at Judgment Day. No, for Paul, a Christian, being born again, new life by the Spirit is the evidence that I didn't have a sugar pill. I had the real thing, saving faith. For I have been crucified with Christ is His definition of saving faith. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. Okay, I do live. Now the life that I do live, I live this way. Not the way the Judaizers are saying. I live in connection and union by faith in Jesus Christ, the One who gave Himself up for me. That's Christian sanctification. See, for Paul, if you have the Holy Spirit, here's the good news. You should have assurance. Oh, Christian, have assurance of your salvation. Look at chapter 4 of Galatians. From verse 6, Paul, there he says, And because you are God's sons, and daughters, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And most of you probably know and, and know that it's funny, right? Because these are Gentile people, Greek. They don't know any Aramaic. Just like most English-speaking Christians don't know any Greek, but they know a little Greek because they know agape and they know logos. And okay, okay. Well, Paul brought the Aramaic of Abba everywhere. That, that, that tender Aramaic word of, of uh, 
intimacy and daddy. He says, the only reason any of us sinners could have a genuine sense of that in the heart is because the one eternal Son who came and became human and died for us and was raised from the dead and then sent the Spirit, the His Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, was injected into our hearts. And thus we taste in portion as Jesus tasted in full. Abba, Father, when your heart is enabled to cry out sincerely to God as you're loving, caring, you've got it. Okay, that's the only time I'll use that saying. I hate it. You've got it all in my life for me only because of a bloody crucifixion of your Son. He's everything. Then that's the evidence that the Spirit of Jesus is dwelling in you. You see, years later, Paul writes to the Romans, and it's right there. He says it again in Romans 8. You have received the Spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, and here's the Aramaic, transliterated in the Greek, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. What a precious gift. It's a deep-seated knowing Abba. A deep, deep-rooted communion with the Father of Jesus who has become our Father through Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection an implantation of the Holy Spirit. Have assurance, dear, genuine believer. But, even subjective experience like that can be deceitful. Jesus said in Matthew 7, starting with verse 21, Not everyone who says to Me, Jesus, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of My Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to Me, Lord, Jesus, Jesus, Lord! Did we not prophesy in Your name and cast out demons in Your name and do many works in the name of Jesus? And then, I will declare to them, I never knew You. Depart from Me, you workers of lawlessness. These persons felt sincere. They felt that Jesus was their Lord. Lord! Lord! That's why they addressed Him that way. But they will be turned away. They'll be turned away because there was no true saving fruit. And there was no fruit because there was no true saving root. And there was no root because Jesus said, I never knew you. Don't get him wrong. The many and 
I knew you, enter into eternal life. The sheep and the goats, Jesus made this clear in the parable, the church on earth will never be pure. So these persons, along with those who know and are known by Jesus, they're all together in big auditoriums and stadiums and little living rooms singing Hillsong songs. And they're sincere in their emotion at the moment. Because Jesus said, if I knew you, if I saved you, you would not have continued as workers of lawlessness or disobedience unrepentantly in the way you lived your life. You wouldn't have because you couldn't have. Look at Galatians. Back to our text. Verse 5 for a second. Does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, He's working in the church, does He do so by or because of your works of the law? Look at that. I'll respond. Or does He do it in response to your hearing the truth with a heart of faith? That's the Christian life. It doesn't change. There's no stage two Christianity. Okay, we're going to move on from faith that got me justified. It's faith. As Paul will say a couple paragraphs later, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, these mosaic laws here concerning whether you're a Jew or not, They don't mean a hill of beans. They count for nothing. But what counts for everything is faith, which works itself out in loving other persons. Which Paul goes on to say is the fulfilling of the moral law. So how does one receive the Spirit? Verse 2, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Answer, the hearing of faith. Believe! Believe the unimaginably good message of Christ crucified for you. And if you believe in Him, He's yours! Condemnation that you deserved is removed forever. And He's coming back and He will raise you from the dead along with all the bride of Christ and be totally freed from sin then and enjoy Him and the Father and the Holy Trinity forever in the communion of the saints. Believe. Believe. You receive the Holy Spirit by hearing the truth of Jesus Christ through your mind, it's got to go through there, and your heart says, yes, He's mine. I see it. See, Paul saying, Galatians, do you remember when I came through your towns? And Barnabas and I and our group, we brought the Gospel and we preached in the synagogue and then we preached in the street. Do you remember what happened when we preached Christ? Faith happened. You didn't do any works of the law for it. You didn't perform anything to get it. As we preached, faith rose up. And you cried out, Abba, Daddy, you were changed. Father, Jesus, you are the treasure in the field. You did no works for it. In fact, the point is you were worked upon in the hearing of the truth. See, Paul is saying there to them exactly what Hebrews 4.12 says about the Word of God. That the Word of God is 
powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Galatians, it cut away all of your hard-hearted defenses and it showed you and miraculously you received. Yeah, Christ crucified. I deserved infinitely worse than that. And that's for me. I see that. I want that. The Word of God did that. Humbled you. The light of the Gospel of the glory of Christ shined in your heart. The old rebellious you, like Paul himself, I will show you I'm the Pharisee of Pharisees. I will show you I can climb the ladder of religion higher than all of my contemporaries. And Paul says, the miracle happened. I realized how self-deceived I was in pulling myself up by my own bootstraps. And I died with Christ so that He would raise me, which He did, and it all happened at one moment to union with Jesus. And so I will now go on living only by faith in Him who gave Himself up for me. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law by the hearing of faith? Paul was making clear that the doctrine of the Judaizers is a direct contradiction to the cross of Jesus. A direct contradiction to grace. A direct contradiction to faith in Christ. And a direct contradiction to the operations and the working of God, the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 3, he says, he says it again here. Stop it. Stop entertaining this idea that you should now, okay, got faith here, I'm in Jesus, now let me be a good Christian and add works of the law to my faith. Stop entertaining those thoughts. Because if you can grasp this, I think it's one of the most important things for us Christians to grasp is this statement. The same dynamic of what faith is Childlike infant, totally dependent. I bring nothing to the equation. The same faith by which you get justified instantaneously in heaven in God's courtroom concerning you. We talked, we had a five week series on this last month. That same faith is the same faith you are to walk out your Christian life of sanctification. Are you so foolish? Verse 3. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to be perfected? Or pursue holiness? Or pursue discipleship? By the flesh. Are you leaving the Spirit for the flesh? Are you leaving faith for works? For Paul to start the Christian life by faith in Jesus and then turn to work for God now as a means to stay in God's good graces, it is to turn from the work of the Holy Spirit. It is to turn away from bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it is to turn to your own prideful arrogance of doing self-sufficient religion. It is an operation of the flesh, our sinful nature. Now, Christians, what do they do? They obey God's moral laws. And they repent when they fail. That's what they do. But not as works of law. It's faith. See, Christians, and Paul will go on in this letter and every letter to make it clear, 
Christians, they obey the command to pray. They pray. They worship. They praise. They sing. They witness preaching, sharing, reaching unbelievers with the Gospel. They yearn for that. They serve. I don't feel like doing that. doesn't make me selfishly happy. But Christians say, no, that's wrong, and I can live by the flesh. They serve others. Christians tithe. Christians read, and they study the Bible. They love others. Christians flee from fornication. They flee from adultery and from gossip and from backbiting and from refusing to forgive another sinner. Christians do all those things, but not as works of the flesh. But they do it from a heart that is pursuing their own happiness that is to be found only in union with Jesus. Say it differently. From a heart of faith. That's what Christians are. And so Paul warns them, don't try to complete your Christian life by the flesh. It can't be done. Romans 8, he says clearly, for if you live, go on a pattern of life, according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Just for a moment, look at Galatians in our pet text. I want you to notice the terminology change. Okay, In verse 2, Paul uses works versus faith. Verse 3, spirit versus the flesh. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by... Notice, he should have inserted the word faith there. This may be a key for you to understand. What is it to walk by the Spirit? It is to walk by trusting in God's Word. Trusting in His commandments. Trusting in His promises. That is walking by the Spirit. But but he changes it. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the ongoing Christian life by the flesh? Now by flesh, sarks is the word Paul means your sinful nature. When you get born again, something changed in there by the Spirit. But that old sinful nature is still ever present. And he says concerning this doctrine of works of the law and legalism, the idea that I can act and do and therefore God's really happy with me today, I did something for Him is a work of sin of the flesh. But the Holy Spirit produces faith. Faith in response to hearing, reading the Word of God, which produces an obedience to the God you love and is saved as He has revealed His will in Scripture. Works of the law, says, I will do. Faith says, God, for Jesus, I am justified. And I want You more than any other. And I feel the tension of my flesh and sin all the time that wants to rebel. But You have, you have guided me in Your Word on the right path. Oh, Your Word is my life. Only You, Jesus, have the words of life. Absolutely. What? 
Okay, no, I won't commit adultery. No, I won't commit fornication. I won't steal from them first fruits off the top of my earnings. Absolutely. Well, tell me the, the pathway of life and glorifying your name. That's faith. The flesh, according to Paul, does not always look like what he's going to lay out in chapter 5. Right? Orgies, and drunkenness, and backbiting, and hatred, and divisions, and all these ugly things. The flesh also can look very religious. That's the issue with the doctrine of the Judaizers. In the church, many people were good at saying, yes, I'll never be legalistic. And they have been in horrific legalistic churches. I've experienced this dealing with people. And so they think, I know the remedy. I'm not under legalism, which means to them another self-deceived understanding or an abuse, a changing of the truth of the New Testament means I'm free to commit adultery because I'm under grace. I'm free to well, sleep with my boyfriend. We like each other. We might get married. I'm under grace. By the way, isn't that what grace means? Freedom to just disobey God's moral commands? I'll disobey the warnings against the love of money and God's biblical protection to start with on the first fruits. There's no need for me to witness and talk about Jesus because... I'm under grace. I'm under grace. And you go on and on. The issue in this passage and the issue at the core of Galatians is sanctification. Justification happens in an instantaneous moment. Sanctification is the evidence that you've been justified. Walking in faith. This passage is to all of us who profess that we have begun yesterday or 60 years ago the Christian life. Because something happened. We heard. That's true. It happened to me at age 19. I believe. But then... You walk, trusting Him, trusting His Word. And when the warnings come up to you in the New Testament all over the place, you don't say, they're not for me. You say, okay, that's right. That's danger zone. I trust you, Jesus. I don't want to go there. The danger of starting on the railroad track of faith and then jumping to a different track. of works. Paul calls that an abuse, a misunderstanding, and a damnable gospel. It came alive in the hearing. A miracle happened and God Himself, the Holy Spirit, blew. And faith was there. And the Christian life is He, the Spirit, is pulling you upon that railroad track. And that's Christianity. The Judaizers are saying, enough of that now. Jump off that track and add to that track another track. Works of the law. In which you will then be able to boast. You will have your reward in full as you compare yourself with others. Don't ever, ever, ever become a non-dependent. Okay, my kids grow up and become that. 
with God. We never become grown up, independent now, on a par with God. Thank you. You grew me enough. I will now act over here in independence of you. But for the grace of God, for any believer, we will do the most atrocious things that you read in the news. Be desperate to lay upon the cart of Jesus and be pulled by the Holy Spirit. Go on in that faith. The faith that daily is desperate to look to God. Which means, by definition, including looking to where He's spoken His Word on how to walk by faith. On what is a heart of faith and what is a work of the flesh. What are the fruits the spirits to be bearing? Okay, do that. Ooh, I don't want that. Go on in that. Resist religious legalism and resist a hell-bound antinomianism or libertinism means I'm not under any moral constraints because I'm in Jesus. So I can do and act with absolute immunity in any way. Depends on what you mean. If you mean I'm in Jesus and I'm born again by the Spirit and I believe in eternal security... And I do. That means He will, and in my sin, bring me back to repentance and I will not continue down that road, then absolutely. Do it all you want. He's got you. But those who live what I just said are only proving that their profession of faith was not genuine. Holy Spirit produced faith. So Paul says, O Galatians, don't be foolish. And in verse 5, don't let these experiences of the Gospel come into you. And over the last year, don't let the suffering, the persecution, all be for nothing. You see that in verse 5? Verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain? Here's his hope. He throws out hope to him. If indeed it was in vain, Get rid of these guys. And in chapter 6, he will say to them, For the person who sows seed in their daily life, the person who sows to his own flesh, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows obedience of faith in God. His commands. His promise. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so, justification instantaneous at new birth. You're made alive. And the evidence of it is that other New Testament word, sanctification. The pursuit of growing in holiness and it's a battle and it's a fight and you're a sinner and will always be a sinner till death, until you're raised from the dead. But sanctification, you're on that path of Him working in you. Both of those are by faith. That's the essential mark of a Christian. At the core, it's not how far you've come. Every day it is this question. 
on what track are you riding to get there? That's the Christian life. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who, who lives. He, Paul really believes something's happening in the Christian. He lives in me. And thus, the life, the walk, the decisions I make with my life and everything, I now, I live by faith in Jesus, the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. You see, in closing, promise. Jesus, He illustrated these two tracks. When He said in the temple, there's a Pharisee, and then over here there's a dirty, rotten scoundrel of a tax collector. And the Pharisee says, I've done this and I've done that, and yay me, and He beat His chest. This is great. Through His works of the law, He was unsaved and He was not justified. The tax collector boasted of nothing and just said, have mercy on me. A sinner. And Jesus said He went away justified. So see, works of the law on this walk, it says, and yeah, look at me, never have I broken the commandment to not commit adultery. I've never broken those New Testament commandments not to commit fornication. I have never borne, or if I did, I repented, but I don't bear false witness. Keep kosher, keep the Sabbath. That's what it says. And it says with it, I'm glad I'm not like Him. I'm glad I'm not like her. It's arrogant, putrid, non-Holy Spirit produced works of the law. The true walk is not God gave ten commandments. I'm under grace. Yeah, so I commit adultery and I commit fornication. And you see that Pharisee? He tithed. Not just off the big crop. He had a garden and of dill and cumin. So I don't tithe. That's works of the law. And Jesus says, these you ought to have done without neglecting the heavier matters. Faith says your wish revealed in Scripture is my command Please bring me to repentance every day in my marriage, raising kids in the workplace, in my attitude, as I see the works of faith. Just, it prays. It reads Scripture. It renews its mind. And it thus lives in joy even in the midst of pain, suffering, and setbacks in life. Let's pray. And as I finish praying, we will stand and we will be singing because Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed in the Gospel for the fact that happened, crucified. And we will be passing out the cup, the blood of Christ, and the body. We'll just hold on to those together. If it comes by you and you are a baptized, professing believer, you're free to partake. And then we will pray over them and drink and eat together. Father, thank You. 
for this glorious, glorious Gospel that plucks sinners out of wrath, makes us alive together with Your Son, Jesus Christ. That we can look, and it never changes now nor for all eternity, for by grace have I been saved through faith. And the grace that brought me alive and the faith that I now have is not of myself, but it is a gift from You. It's not based upon any works that we have done so that we will never boast. Oh, how glorious that we have been recreated in Christ Jesus for good works in order that by the pulling of the Spirit and walking in faith, we will walk in them as humble, saved, joy-filled, happy, Christ-centered people to the glory of Your holy name. Amen.